Yeah, definitely on now. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, it's just an absolute uh, joy and delight to be with you. Just appreciate that so much. I appreciate what this congregation has meant to this area for so long and uh, not just affecting this, this community and this town and this area, but uh, affecting the world. And you've got some of the missionaries that you support here tonight, and I, I know you do a lot of support of mission work. And so you're blessing not just this area, but the entire world. So thank you so much. I've loved this congregation ever since I was a little kid, and we would come to visit my grandparents who were members here, W.C. and Elizabeth Chester, back when Brother Claude Flynn was the preacher here. And uh, I have loved this congregation ever since. So it's just an absolute joy to be with you tonight. Um, I had a dream last night, and I'm not making this up for the sake of illustration. This is really what I dreamed. Actually, I think it was early this morning because it woke me up about 30 minutes before I normally get up, and I could not go back to sleep. And you'll understand why in just a second. But I, I was dreaming that I was riding in a boat, and that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? If it stopped right there, I mean, riding in a boat is a wonderful thing. But this boat was attached to a truck that was driving about 75 miles an hour over a bridge and careening towards a river. That, that was my dream that I woke up to this morning. And I thought, wow, what? We're going to be talking about prayer tonight. And what an opportune uh, time that would be. Can you imagine really being in that situation, which in my mind I thought I was in dreamland, and so I'm riding in the back of this boat, attached to this truck, careening off a bridge into a river. And man, that's a time that you want to be praying. But I don't want us to, to think about just for the next few moments tonight the, the opportunities to pray when, when things are obviously not going well. I want us to think about this idea of being constant in prayer. And not underestimating the preciousness that prayer is, the power that it has. In fact... Do we have evidence in Scripture where things happened or things did not happen and it was a direct result of a prayer? Where we know that if the prayer had not been prayed, in all likelihood, there's something that would or would not have happened. I know you remember very well Exodus chapter 32. And uh, Moses is up on the mountain getting the law. Uh, the nation of Israel, under the uh, very foolish leadership at the time of Aaron, have decided... Uh, that they're going to start worshiping a golden calf. And you remember what uh, the Lord says in Exodus 32 to Moses, let me alone. It's interesting the way he starts that statement to Moses, let me alone and let me consume them, and I'll make a great nation out of you. And so the Lord intended at that moment to destroy the nation and begin again with Moses. You remember what Moses said on that occasion? He begged for mercy for the people. And the Lord listened to Moses, and the Lord relented from the wrath that he had planned for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, as we're getting to the end of Moses' time of leading the people, he takes the nation back, even though most of the ones that were alive and present on that occasion were not alive now 40 years later. In Deuteronomy 9, Moses takes the nation there back to that scene at Mount Sinai. And here's what he says in verses 19 and 20, for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you, but the Lord listened to me at that time. But what I love about Deuteronomy 9 is it gives us a little piece of information that is not provided for us in Exodus 32. Because if you only read Exodus 32 and you don't read Deuteronomy 9, it seems like Aaron got off a little easy. 
But you realize that was, there's a reason. And here's what Moses says in verse 20, Deuteronomy 9, And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So it was God's intention to kill Aaron for erecting that golden calf and leading the nation of Israel in idolatry. Why? Why did God not? What was his reason for not? He says, so I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. If it had not been for the intercessory prayer of Moses on behalf of his brother, Aaron would have died at the foot of Mount Sinai. And so you've got the nation being spared. You've got Aaron in particular being spared because of a prayer. I know you remember very well 1 Samuel chapter 1. And you remember Hannah praying desperately for a child. If Hannah had not prayed so fervently, so desperately for her womb to be opened and for for her to have a child, do you think she would have ever had one? I don't know that she would have. Because she says, in fact, when she conceives later, when Elkanah knew his wife, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, that the Lord remembered her. But it's not just that he remembered Hannah. He remembered her prayer. That's the whole reason why Hannah named this boy Samuel, which means in Hebrew, the name of God. And then she gives the reason why she named Samuel. Because I have asked for him from the Lord. She received this child because of her prayer. Had she not prayed so fervently? Had she not prayed so desperately? Had she not prayed so intentionally? In all likelihood, she never would have received that child. I know you remember the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. And the Lord has blessed her with a son in her old age. You remember the son gets sick and dies. We don't see anything in Scripture that indicates that this was all part of a master plan of God to show his power again to the widow of Zarephath or, or to prove Elijah as the prophet of God. It just seems like this was just a, a natural, tragic occurrence that this son gets sick and dies. And you remember it's Elijah who comes back, finds out this son is dead, and the widow is, as you can imagine, despondent. And what does it say in chapter 17, verses 20 through 22? Elijah now takes the boy up into the room that the widow and her husband had built for him at their house. He cries out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Would the child have been restored to his life if Elijah had not prayed so fervently? I don't think so. I believe the prayer that Elijah prayed is the reason why that soul was returned to that boy. I know you remember Isaiah chapter 38 verses 1 through 5 where it says, In these days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order for you shall die and not live. There's Hezekiah's fate. His fate is sealed. He's sick. He's at the end of his life, comma. But Hezekiah begs the Lord. In verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray you, how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. 
and seen your tears, surely I will add to your days 15 years. Why did Hezekiah get 15 years added to his life? If it had followed the natural course, the natural process, Hezekiah was in the process of dying a physical death because of his physical illness. And yet he prayed fervently. If Hezekiah had not prayed that way, would he have gotten 15 years? No. He got those 15 years because of his prayer. We see over and over again, that's just a few examples we could spend the rest of the night showing how God does exactly what he promises prayer is capable of doing. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But do we really believe it? We see the evidence for it in Scripture over and over again. And so I want to encourage us tonight, if you have grown weak in your faith in prayer, if there's someone tonight who maybe there's something that you prayed fervently for and you did not get the answer that you thought you should have gotten for that prayer, I want to encourage you tonight to have your faith in prayer restored. It indeed is powerful. It is effective. It has results. If it didn't, God does not want us to just go through exercises that involve busy work just to see if we're loyal and faithful to Him. He doesn't tell us to do things that are of no benefit. He just wants us to see if we'll do them. Everything He calls on us to do is for our benefit. It benefits us. So I want to encourage us tonight to be constant in our prayer, but without doubting. We're going to talk about that more here in just a second. I want to ask you for a moment now, how do you pray? God wants us to pray. He longs for us to pray, and He wants us to be constant in our prayer, do you do what the Holy Spirit through Paul told us to do in First Thessalonians 5 and verse 17? Do you pray without ceasing? And in other words, are you constant in your prayer? I'm sure that many of you here tonight have had a child grow up and leave home, maybe leave town, go off to school in another town. And how much do you look forward to hearing from that son or that daughter to hear how they're doing? Do you like hearing from them? Or is it okay with you? You say, you know, hey, I've spent 18 years. Uh, it doesn't matter if I don't hear from them, but, you know, quarterly, that'll be good for me. Monthly, May, I, could, I guess I could handle monthly. Do, do most parents, are most parents okay with a child that they have brought into the world, that they've nurtured, that they've raised, that they've loved, that, they, that they're willing to die for? Are they okay with just sporadically, once in a blue moon, hearing from this child? God loves us more than we love our children. God longs to hear from us even more than we long to hear from our children. And so are we sporadic in the way that we communicate with Him? Or are we constant? And do we communicate with Him in the good times and the bad? I I have heard of some parents who get frustrated when a child goes off to college and the only time they hear from the child is when the money has run out or there are no more clean clothes to wear. You only hear from the child when the child needs something. There is a need. I don't want to do God that way. I don't want to just come to God and approach Him only when I need something for Him. I want to go to God when things are going great. I want to go to God when things are not going great and everything in between. I want to be constant in my prayer, and I hope you do as well. So how do you pray? You know, there was something about the way Jesus prayed. Sometimes I'm so jealous when I think about those apostles who got to hear the Son of God pray. You know, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Did they not know how to pray? Had they never prayed before? 
did they ask Jesus this question? Lord, teach us how to pray because we have no clue what we're doing. Did they not have wonderful examples of prayer in the law that they had spent their life studying? Didn't they have examples of prayers that David had prayed, that Jehoshaphat had prayed, that Moses had prayed, that Hannah had prayed? They had all these examples of great prayers, inspired prayers, some of them. But they say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. There obviously was something so different about the way Jesus prayed. And so they wanted to learn how to pray like he did, connect with the Father the way he did. Be so purposeful and intentional and sincere and open and honest in the way that we know that he was. You know, when you read in Luke chapter 24 where the Lord meets up with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you remember, for some reason, these two disciples who were very familiar with Jesus could not recognize him. I don't know if it's because their eyes had been affected or if Jesus' appearance had been changed. But they go on this whole walk with him on the road, and they have no idea that it is Jesus until... You know what's very interesting to me? Do you know when their eyes were opened? You know what the last thing Jesus did before their eyes were opened and they realized who they had been with for the entire day? It was after he prayed. When he goes into their house, or the day had been long spent, you remember they asked him to tarry with them. They come to the house, and he broke bread, and he blessed it. And then he gave it to them, and then their eyes were open. You remember what they said? Didn't our hearts burn within us? While he was expounding the scriptures to us, while he was speaking to us, but what sealed the deal is when they heard that prayer. Because there had to be something about Jesus' prayer that was so unique, so powerful. Jesus understood the power of prayer. He utilized it. He took advantage of it all the time. And that's what he's trying to model for us. And so I hope that we understand and appreciate and regularly remind ourselves of the value of prayer. So do you pray persistently? Do you pray selflessly? You remember in James chapter 4 and verse 3, the Holy Spirit through James says that you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. So that you may spend it. What is the it? You want to spend the answers to your prayers on your pleasures. So they were asking for things that were selfish. They were asking for things that were material. They were asking for things that were physical. He says you ask and you don't receive because you're not asking in the right way. And you're not asking for the right things. Even the, the one time in Scripture when Jesus prays for himself, the only time that we have in Scripture in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, when he prays for himself, even at that point, when he prays that the cup would pass from him, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. So even in Jesus' most desperate time, where he had the most right to be selfish, to only think about him, to want his will to be done and not the Father's, but he still in that time of great need says, no, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So do we pray selflessly? Do we pray persistently? And do we pray without doubting? See, James 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you ask wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. But in verse 6, he says, But do not doubt. Don't doubt when you pray. Isn't that one of the more challenging things for us sometimes? And it may be that there's been a time in your life where you prayed desperately. You may have prayed as desperately as David did for that child that he wanted to live so bad that he had conceived with Bathsheba. Maybe you've been in a situation where you were praying so desperately, 
you felt like there was only one answer possible for this prayer and it wasn't answered in the way that you thought. And maybe from that time on, you've had a bit of doubt. You've had a bit of uncertainty. We need to remind ourselves that even the son was told no. How presumptuous of us to pray a prayer to God and it doesn't go the way we want it. Well, God, you obviously just don't love me. Or prayer is just not as effective as you said it was in Scripture. How presumptuous of us to have an attitude like that about prayer when even the son who knew no sin had every reason for God to hear and answer in the way that he wanted every prayer that he prayed, and yet even the son at one, on one occasion was told no. See, we can't see the big picture. And that's our problem so often. I know that's my problem. Maybe sometimes it is yours. The way that we view our circumstances often is the way that Noah viewed the outside world looking out of that one window in that ark. You know, when, Jesus, when, when Noah looked out that one window of that ark, he had one vantage point. He could see out that window. He couldn't see what was going on in the other three directions. There could have been dry land behind him. He'd have no clue because he didn't have a window on the other side of the ark. He had one vantage point and was very limited in what he could see. That's the way we are with our life. We've got this limited vantage point. We're down on this earth looking at things from our perspective, from an earthly perspective, and we're always tempted, as the apostles were, to look at things from a physical perspective and not spiritual. And we're going to talk about that more before we finish. But we get caught up in thinking that we know the way things should go. You know, we think we've got all the answers. We think we know what direction our life should take. Uh, we think we know how God should answer our prayers. And we're only looking out that one window. God's above the ark looking down and He sees everything. God sees the present, the past, the future. He knows better than we do our circumstances. And He's always got our best interest in mind, but He doesn't necessarily always just care about, well, he never just cares about our physical well-being. In fact, in God's eyes, as you read through Scripture, you see that physical well-being is kind of down the totem pole. The Lord's much more concerned about our spiritual well-being. Let me ask you this, for whom do you pray? We need to be constant in prayer. Who are you praying for when you pray? You know, Paul prayed specifically for his brethren. The passage that we're going to finish with tonight, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. What a beautiful passage that teaches us who to pray for and, and what to pray for is found in that passage. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul prays specifically for his brothers and sisters there at the church in Ephesus. You know, on occasions, Paul prayed for himself, and it's okay to do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, three times he prayed for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. Paul prays specifically for himself. It's okay at times, if we're dealing with something that is so overwhelming, so difficult, and even when it's not, it's okay to pray to God about ourself, our circumstances, our situation. To include that, of course, in so many other things that we are to pray for. You know, Paul prayed specifically for the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Man, Paul was a zealous patriot. Paul loved his brethren in blood. He loved his brethren in the faith. But he had a special place, even though I know we call him the apostle to the Gentiles. But he loved his countrymen. And he prayed for his country 
Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And I know sometimes Christians will say, listen, my citizenship is in heaven. Yes, I live in, in the United States. My citizenship is in heaven. And that is true. And, and our citizenship in heaven should be first and foremost. That should be the most important thing. But it's okay to be patriotic. It's okay to pray for our country. I've enjoyed living in a land that for the most part has been the land of the free and the home of the brave. I've, I've appreciated the blessings that God has bestowed upon this country. And I don't want to be selfish and, and enjoy those myself and not long for those same blessings for my children and their children and their children's children and as long as this world stands. I want to pray that God continues to bless this country, and I know you do as well. You know, Jesus on, on one occasion prayed specifically for one of his apostles. As recorded for us in Scripture, he prayed specifically for Peter in Luke chapter 22. You know, I know that at times Jesus prayed for his disciples collectively. In John chapter 17, we read about on one occasion how Jesus prayed for all those who would believe on him through the words of his disciples, John 17, 20, and 21. But at least on one occasion, Jesus took some time to pray specifically for one, singled out one of his apostles. And he says, Peter, I've prayed for you specifically because I know way on down the road you're going to suffer physically for following me. Is that what he said? You remember what the reason why he prayed specifically for Peter? He says, Peter, Satan has asked for you so that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. See, Jesus prayed a spiritual prayer for Peter. And he said, and Peter, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It was a spiritual prayer. Peter was in spiritual jeopardy. And Peter was, was on the, the brink of, of committing a sin that I'm sure he thought about and cried about, not just that one time that's recorded in Scripture. I'm sure there were times where his mind went back to that scene while his Savior was preparing to die on the cross for his sins and thinking about the fact that he was out there within earshot of him cursing and swearing to anyone that would listen that he even knew him knowing the kind of heart that Peter had, especially when we see him matured in the faith, when we read First and Second Peter, there were times, I'm sure, where Peter just went back to that scene and just cried his eyes out again. He was in spiritual jeopardy. Jesus knew it, and he prayed specifically for Peter. I want to encourage us. We, we usually, in the brotherhood, we do a wonderful job about praying for one another's physical needs. We usually do a really good job. When we hear about someone who has cancer, when we hear about someone who's had an accident, we hear about someone in the hospital, we are quick and fervent usually in our prayer. But I think the Lord, though he does not want us to not do that, the Lord wants us to be even more fervent in our prayer for one another when we are in spiritual danger, when we're in spiritual jeopardy. At Wetumpka, we spend some time every Sunday morning at 8.30 taking prayer requests and then praying specifically for those who have submitted prayer requests that morning. And the vast majority of the time, I'll, I'll confess to you as a congregation, the vast majority of the time our prayer requests are physical. Because it's hard for us as people to not put too much value on the physical. That's what the apostles did over and over again. You know, when Jesus would say to them, like he did in John chapter 4, I have food to eat of that you know not of, 
they're wondering, well, who came and brought him something to eat while we were gone? He was talking in spiritual terms. Over and over again, Jesus would be talking to people in spiritual terms. They thought he was talking in physical. Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being spiritually born again. And he's saying, can a man go back in his mother's womb and be born a second time? We're just like them so many times and in so many ways. We get caught up in the physical. We get caught up in the here and now. The Lord wants us to be far more concerned about one another's spiritual well-being than our physical. Let's not discount it entirely, but let's put it in its proper place. And I think we need to do more. Isn't it interesting that when we quote, and notice a few moments ago in James chapter 5, verse 16, I quoted the last part of that verse. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But I know that you remember the context in which that statement is made. Is the context regarding physical needs? What does the first part of the verse say? Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's talking about a spiritual healing. When he puts the, the caveat about the power of prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of righteous man avail, avails much, yes, we understand that also can include the physical. But over and over again, what Jesus impressed on our mind is there is power in prayer for the spiritual, and that's what's the most important to the Lord. And that's what he wants us to focus on regularly is praying about our own spiritual condition. And I want to encourage us in our personal prayer life, as we pray to, the God, as we pray to our God about our needs and the needs of our loved ones, the needs of our church brethren, let's pray more for the spiritual needs than the physical. Let's pray more to go, grow closer to God spiritually than for God to take away this ache in our back or this pain in our knee. Yes, pray for those. Put them down, on the, down the list and prioritize. You see, when we put things in their proper order, God does so much more than we can ever begin to ask or imagine. You know one of the most extreme answers to a prayer in all of the Bible is found in 1 Kings chapter 3. Beginning in verse 5, and I know it's a passage that you know very well. Solomon is asked by God, or is told by God, ask, what shall I give you? So here's God who appears to Solomon, what do you want? What do you want me to give to you? And I know you remember very well what Solomon's response to that was. And I, I love the way that he couched his asking for wisdom. Do you remember what he said specifically? In fact, I want to ask you if you would go ahead and turn back over there with me. 1 Kings chapter 3. And after you read in verse 5, where God appearing to him in a dream says, Ask, what shall I give you? Verse 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. I love the way that Solomon approaches this response to God. God, I'm just a little kid. I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't even know how to come out, go out of this palace and come back in again. In verse 9, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? See, when, when we approach God selflessly in humility, 
And when we're asking for things of spiritual significance and not just of temporal or physical significance, God will answer that prayer and then He'll just heap answers on top of blessings that we didn't even ask for. And that's exactly what happens to Solomon. In verse 13, And I've also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. I want to encourage us, I need to do a better job of this myself, to ask the Lord regularly for wisdom, for discernment. There's no more valuable prayer that we can pray. Lord, give me the wisdom to understand your will for me. Give me the wisdom to open up your word and rightly divide it. And that is exactly, as we are coming near the close tonight, what Paul says that he prays for regarding the church there in Ephesus. If you would turn with me over there to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul says, I am being constant in my prayer for you. And now he gets specific. Here's what I'm praying for, for you. Making mention of you in my prayers, you might be reading from a version that puts a colon there, and now he's going to explain what that prayer is, beginning in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? You see what Paul was specifically praying for those Ephesian Christians. He he might have prayed for their physical well-being. He might have prayed that they be healthy and prosperous, that they be freed from harm. I'm sure that those at times were included in the prayers that he prayed. But most importantly, Paul prayed for those young Christians that you will have wisdom, understanding, discernment. See, back in James chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He gives liberally when we ask him for things that he wants to give us and that he knows will equip us to be better children of his and that will ensure that we will have the tools that we need to handle anything that the devil throws our way. So that when this small, tiny little amount of time is over, we can enjoy what we're really here for. And that is what's coming next. God doesn't want us to get bogged down in, in the things that are temporal and physical. He wants us to be constant in prayer for those things that have eternal significance. And so God is praying, and we need to pray, that we individually have wisdom and discernment so that we have an answer to give those who ask us the reason for our faith, 1 Peter 3.15, so that we can handle a wind of doctrine that blows in, that is not in harmony with the will of God, so that we're equipped 
to be able to handle whatever the devil throws our way, whether it's a physical temptation, a spiritual temptation, we need to pray for that wisdom, that discernment, that understanding. We need to be constant in prayer that the Lord will give us the desire to want to go to His Word and the desire to share that Word with a lost and dying world. There are so many people who who are in desperate need of wisdom of this book. I'm sure it would sadden us beyond belief to think about how many people can quote John 3.16, but have never read John 3, 1 through 15. There are so many people who base their wisdom, their understanding of Scripture on just little bits and pieces that they have pulled out. You know, you can't even understand the most simplest of things that have ever been read if you just pull out bits and pieces from a page here, from a chapter here, from a paragraph here. Let me just illustrate it to you in this way as we close. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. You may like them. You will see. You may like them in a tree. Say, in the dark, here in the dark. Would you? Could you? In the dark? I would not. Could not in the dark. Close the book. You've never read Green Eggs and Ham before. That's, what, that's the extent of your reading. Of Do you have any idea that the book is dealing with with a fox, and a, I can't remember what the other beast was in that book. But you've got these two animals, and one is trying to convince the other one to eat green eggs and ham. Would you have any idea about any of that had you just read those few little captions from green eggs and ham that I just shared with you? You have no idea what it's talking about. There are people who base their eternal destination on one verse. And they've not even read verses 1 through 15. Jesus already talked to Nicodemus in that chapter about baptism. And the fact that unless man is born again, he shall not what? Y'all finish it for me. He shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again of water and the Spirit. And yet there are folks who build their faith, erect their faith on one passage they pulled out of the blue. A passage here, a passage here, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. One from Book of Opinions that their uncle said, I know it's in there somewhere. We need to pray for wisdom, for the desire, for the desire to go to God's Word and learn it, divide it, hide it in our heart. You know why David was a man after God's own heart? And I know he, he made mistakes. Some of them grievous. But for the most part, David lived a life of faithful service to the Lord. And it's because he hid God's word in his heart. We need to pray for wisdom, for discernment, for understanding, to be constant in our prayer. God, bless me as I open up your word and I spend time in your word. And I don't try to parcel it. I don't try to uh, piecemeal it. But I spend time in your word. Father, bless me with the ability to understand what your will is for my life. Bless me to accept it in humility, even the parts that, that I, if I was God, I wouldn't have constructed that command in that way. But help us to be constant in prayer for those things that are of spiritual significance those things that are of eternal spiritual value. Thank you so much for your kind attention this evening.